What is up, Podheads? Back at it for another episode of the Podio Slate Podcast. My name is Tony. I am joined most of the time, no, as always, by Anthony and Nate. How you boys doing tonight? Let's not all jump out at once, Mr. Nate. I'm I'm great. I'm always great. Nothing new there. Nate, you you're hanging, right? Hanging with the best of them, the best nerds in town. Rolling with the homies. You remember that song? Coolio, yeah. Off Coolio soundtrack. soundtrack. Yep. There you go. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. A few weeks ago, we, we talked Jim Carrey. This week, it's Coolio. <laughs> Rest in peace. And, and Clueless, another movie. <laughs> That's right. One night, we were going to rank the Adam Sandler catalog, too. So I, <laughs> I don't know where Who this nerdery yeah, I don't know where this nerdery is going, but this is, this is what we got for you. But yeah. Well, we, talked, we talked Hall Pass a few weeks back, oh, too. we did, yeah. And you watched yeah. it, right? I did, yeah. I, I took some mental pictures. It was a good time, yeah. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that movie. Of which scenes? A few. There was a few of them. So we talking music? We talking movies? We talking? Oh we talking? boy! Spin the wheel. <laughs> oh, bring back. <laughs> so yeah, Nate, we're gonna spin the wheel. What do you want to talk about? Movies, pop culture, music. Let's talk about it all. No, okay. Let's, let's be specific. <laughs> let's stay focused. Get yeah, our let's niche. Talk <laughs> our niche, as what? someone said. <laughs> What niche is this podcast? Oh, it's nerdy, uh, really. I mean, first and foremost, but yeah, it's music, I would say. I'd say it's music. Actually, how would you describe this podcast to like a coworker or like you're at a family reunion and your, your cousin that you haven't seen in a few years asks you about the pod? What would you say? That's a great question because it's, it's not just, oh, yeah, we just geek out on music. No, it's like, well, we geek out on music on a level that you got to have to have like thick spectacles to really understand. <laughs> But none of us are wearing glasses. <laughs> it's not normal or healthy. Oh, no, I think it's healthy. I think we, <laughs> I think we determined that in our heavy therapy part too, right? It's healthy. It's, uh, it's something that people can, like you said, we're, we're saving a lot of copays by, by just firing up the old Zoom and the microphones every once a week. That's actually an accurate statement. Uh, I can't remember the website, but yeah, it was if you listen to music and or talk about music in any capacity on a somewhat consistent basis, you are less stressed and therefore in a better state of mind and is uh, congruent to heavy therapy or just what is known as music therapy, which is a mm -hmm. real practice. It's real, man. I believe it. I agree. And I think I would keep it. I don't even know what I would say because I, I don't necessarily advertise it. If people ask me about it, I'll tell them about it. But I think it's just, hey, music podcast, and then I'll rattle off some guests and they'll be like, okay, it's not just three guys dicking around in the basement. I mean, it is that. <laughs> It is that. more than that. It's, it's more than that, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's all of the above. <laughs> it's three guys dicking around in the basement. It's, uh, we actually legitimately have had some pretty badass guests on. Uh, and we, you know, we just fire up. Like I said, we fire it up once a week and we talk music with uh, ourselves and whoever's out there listening to us. So we appreciate you doing that. But shit, man, it's been a blast and we're going to keep doing it. And we got a pretty good segment for you tonight that we're we're excited about it. it's one that we've kind of talked about a little bit in the past but never brought to the forefront and Twan mentioned it this week it's like yeah let's do that. that that sounds like fun game changers we're talking game changers we're talking maybe albums that change the game bands that change the game and for various reasons right because they're a beast live and they changed how people consume a live experience it could be an album that took a band to a new stratosphere and there were copycats. It could be a band's aesthetic. You know, it could be the possibilities are endless. And I think that's what kind of drew us to this segment. Uh, but it could be band, could be album, 
actually it could be label i mean i didn't come with a label but there are labels that fit this you know yeah that's a good description it's multi-dimensional but also very patio slave because it's uh we don't have any real formula we could all be coming to the table with completely different ways of you know discussing this subject so back to how would you describe the podcast to our friends well this subject alone is very much geek geek central that's a great point this is exactly how i would describe us and and we can talk about whether it's the la a label that changed the game or we can talk about a record that's changed a game or an artist and we can then talk to maybe that artist i mean in prepping for this things crossed my mind but i was like shit i can't do thursday because we talked to tucker about that it's already back there in the catalog go listen to the episode with tucker rule about that's a good point about full collapse i can't do uh thrice's artist in the ambulance because shit we talked to brian mcturner the producer of that record and it's it's already there like it's fucking wild that some of that stuff is back there to begin with so that's where i struggled with my prep but i have a couple questions for you guys and one pretty good one that we've never really talked about that's like low-key bragging rights but it's just being honest oh yeah i'm telling everybody super look, look at what we did <laughs> <laughs> right and and sometimes you, you maybe just want to talk about something new like I'll, i mean w one of the records that came to my mind fits that same thought process which is Kill switch, live just breathing. I'm like, well, we already talked about that. Yeah, we, I'm had, not gonna, we had Jesse Leach on. Wow. We're not going to talk about it again, just the three of us. You know, I mean, we could. So, what do you, who, who wants to start this off? One of you guys. Tuan, why don't you lead us, lead us off? I picked a band, and it's a band that we, we've had the front man on the pod, and I'll tease it. It's the band as a whole. They changed the game for a number of different reasons, but in my eyes, they changed what a band could be and what is, where the music is almost supplemental to the collective that is this entity. And it, they've, they've created a world that their fans, and even fans, not even fans of the music, just the public knows about them because of this world that they've created and the storyline behind the band. Any guesses? When I say it, you'd be like, duh. You said we had some, a member of the band on? Had the front man on. The front man? I'm trying to think of front man that we had on. Shit, yeah, I'm jogging through guests. I was going to say, is it 311? But no. Front man. We never had Nick Hexum on. No, or SA. No. But yeah, Nick is the front man. You're right. Shit. Think of a storyline, a really a movement. This is where my brain always is like, hey, remember all that shit you know? It's not right. here right now. I know. So this is a real stump the tone. I mean, I'm stumped per usual. but I shouldn't uh, be stumped, but we, we do have a lot of guests back there. I know. There's a lot, dude. You want to tell you? Yeah. It's Guar. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Guar changed the fucking game. Like, their whole entity is just this world that they... You know, they're from planet Scumdagia. So, like, there's this whole world that companies, accompanies the actual music where I was thinking about this. Like, you had Kiss. Kiss wore makeup and they had the antics. But there wasn't this whole, that I know of, this whole backstory and world that you kind of got invited into by being a fan of the band. And then you had, like, I thought of, like, the Beatles. The Beatles had all those movies where it was more than just the music. It was almost like a Broadway play in some, in some capacity, but Guar, it's really a collective. And like, they have that slave pit Inc, which is a collective of musicians and filmmakers and designers and all that crap. And then there's fans of Guar that aren't even fans of the music. 
they just appreciate Mm -hmm. it for what it is and then i'll take it a step further once you have this world then the consumerism comes in it's the merch it's the live show it's the antics and it's just this whole package i don't know just change the game like i i i don't know if icp was a fan of guar but icp took this torch Mm -hmm. that's a movement that's it's so much more than the music it's a whole thing you know gathering of the juggalos and this one might surprise you i think the wonder years do this very well where the music creates this world where there's like references in the songs that people go visit like there's actual Mm -hmm. places that people go visit and there's this journey of basically growing up and i think there's just this world so it's I think Guar maybe more than anyone created a world for their band, which changed the game, I think. And they did it before a lot of people were thinking of doing that. I mean, no kidding, right? We talked movies right at the beginning of the of the episode and what has Marvel done? What has DC done? What have all these places done? Star Wars, they've built these worlds, these TV shows, these movies, there's like places in the fabric of the storyline that they keep trying to show you. Guar was doing that 35 years ago. 30 years Insane. ago. Insane. It's nuts. Yeah, and not a lot of bands were definitely thinking about that back then. They were making music, and they were trying to build a fan base, and yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a world that gets attached to that, but nobody was doing it this way as early as they were. You're right. They changed the game. Absolutely. They changed the game in, like, very controversial no way kidding. of doing it, right? It's not like, it's <laughs> yep. not necessarily, like, an easy to market, go-to-market strategy in terms of band marketing. Like, way out there it's basically like a comic book and dream in band format i think kiss as you mentioned is probably the only somewhat parallel and maybe they pulled a little influence from that but it's so avant-garde even on top of that that like yeah they they were just going for it i mean in terms of monetary you know outlets and merchandising and licensing the name like that I, i doubt that was even part of the plan it was just like hey let's do some wild shit that, you know and i think it. you might be right i think it was a lot of drugs i think it was a lot of just <laughs> friends winging it i mean yep. we we spoke with blothar who was you know in the band before uh he took over on vocals but i don't know i it got me thinking about bands that have created a world and it tends to be the bands that have the cult followings yep. you know that really go to the ends yeah. of you know the edges of the earth for them I think Wonder Years have done that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This, Slip, this... Slipknot, they built a world. Holy Slipknot. shit. Oh my God. Yes. 100%. And I think War influenced Slipknot. If I can remember a, some article that I read, Corey Taylor, as usual, describing like bands that he would, he just wants to do like a four, big four tour, kind of like the Metallica, Anthrax, Tours of the World, Slayer. Who else was on that tour? I can't remember. But Megadeth. Regardless, Megadeth, exactly. He wanted to do like a Slipknot, Guar. Mushroom Head and Mudvayne tour that all kind of do the makeup thing and all the whole thing. But at the end of the day, like Guar was like, they were ahead of all that shit. So mm-hmm. they de facto influenced all these bands, no matter what, how you want to slice it. Like they were first, first to market. Kiss probably was, you're right, Nate, but Kiss didn't do it the way that Guar did it. Kiss did it with a little yeah. a mainstream rock. They were a rock component, right? They, they had the, the get ups, they had the, the backstories of their characters, they wore the makeup and the masks, but the music was pretty straightforward rock. Whereas Guar is not that, <laughs> not even close. Yeah. I still don't know what Guar is. <laughs> I don't think anybody I, does. <laughs> I love the Marvel comparison because you have all these spinoffs and that's, 
Guar could do that all day long. And I think they have done with the comic books. You know what I mean? You could take one little storyline, one little character, one band member, and just have a whole comic book series just based on them, you know? But if you want, <laughs> here, I'm going to plug us. If you want to hear that conversation, it's episode, what, 119, maybe? 117, something like that? 121. 121. God I'm going to go with Tones, yeah. I'm going to bet on Tones' recommendation. I, I think he's right. Look into that. Look at it up right now to make sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure back it's 121. Both are funny dude, and I don't know. I, like, I feel like I, I was formally invited into their world by, ch by chatting with him, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was great to see him in his getup when we had him on. And yes, it was episode 121. Go back and listen to that. Nice. All right, who's next? Who got it? Nate, you got one. All right, cool. Yeah, I got a bunch. And um, fucking great pick. Great way to kick us off. Didn't even think of Guar, but obviously that's a good point. Again, delaying as usual, but just wanted to kind of give props where props are due. So this segment is very nerdy because it can go in multiple directions and i seem to tend to gravitate towards not only artists but also album that represents and highlights this subject to the you know to the nth degree so one that i picked in my formative years of music appreciation is pink floyd and i was you know at this point in my youth i call it 12 13 i was pretty much listening to the 90s music and grunge so big pearl jam fan and my brother and his friends were listening to things like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, which is a completely different side of the music industry and, you know, music appreciation. And I was just kind of taking a step back on, oh, wow, this is, this is a different way that you can do this. And I was, I'm I was floored then and I'm floored now that the album in particular, Dark Side of the Moon, is so left field from everything that was happening then and even today and stands the test of time released in 1973 if you think about the landscape in, in europe for music then dark side of the moon is like so out of nowhere that it's just mind-boggling it's like lateralis dropping in what is it 2001 when like new metal is happening it's like what the fuck they just didn't give a shit that's a you good know? comparison actually and and actually yeah. not to cut you off but I thought you were going to say Sugar Ray floored when you said floored. <laughs> that, changed, uh, that changed something. There's still 37 of those for two ninety seven at Bulmos right now. If you walk That's any, any yeah. record store. <laughs> cash. I need some fucking cash. Remember yeah. that song? Weird. The, the rest of the album isn't like the song Fly. Uh, I'm going to sell this back. <laughs> All right, carry on. No, I, I don't know if you were done, but my quick reaction is they're actually a band that created a world as well. You know, and, and that's maybe that's going to be a theme with all this where, you know, there's light shows and, you know, they could they could do, I don't know, Cirque du Soleil, you know, but where I where I go is the light shows. That was, those are massive. I've seen uh, Brit Floyd with Rob and I went to see Brit Floyd at the Civic Center in Maine, Portland, Maine, probably like eight or nine years ago. And it's as close to Pink Floyd as you're going to get as far as a tribute band goes. They were awesome. There was a cool light show that went along with it, and it's exactly what it is. Like, there's like planetarium shows with Pink Floyd stuff. There's all kinds of different things that have spawned from at least that record, Dark Side of the Moon, but Pink Floyd in general and the entirety of their catalog. It's funny, Nate. I probably get into them a little later than you, but I liken it to Led Zeppelin. A lot of people say, I remember hearing a quote once, people, most like adolescent boys or, you know, boys becoming men have a Led Zeppelin phase. 
and I would say Pink Floyd's the same way. And it's like age 17, 18, you're just like, this stuff was blowing my mind. I didn't know it existed. And then you just rifle through the entire catalog, whether it be Pink Floyd or Zeppelin. And then you're like, all right, I feel like I just learned. You know what I mean? It's like a speed reading situation where you're like, I went through all these books, I went through all these albums, and now I know what it's like to be, you know, 17 in 1977 versus when we grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, well said. It's its, it's, it's, its own animal, and it's speaking on so much crazy and deep subject matter. I feel like when I listen to Pink Floyd then, and even now, it's, it's like reading Kurt Vonnegut or George Orwell. It's like such abstract but somewhat relatable material that's essentially timeless, whether you want to admit it or not, in terms of like just really sketchy and shitty and somewhat realistic scenarios that they talk about in a way that's not it's not rock and roll right it's it's prog rock so it's there's a lot of texture there's a lot of uh layers there and the songs are like nine minutes long and the imagery like you said twan with the light shows and even just the artwork for the albums dark side of the moon in in particular is very simplistic so the songs kind of speak for themselves but um yeah in terms of era and just getting into it like it's quintessential well, when you were talking, it got me thinking. Uh, I was going to ask you the question of, all right, well, in the spirit of this episode, what, what changed as a result of this? But you just nailed it. It almost gave this hall pass for bands to be abstract and not just put the musicians on the front of the album. You know, have this, you know, have this be this prism on a cover of an album when maybe people are used to the Beatles walking across the street, you know, or some... Uh, who did we? Uh, oh man, I can't remember. Who was the musician that you picked, Nate, for one of the episodes where the cover was really goofy? It was just a modest mouse. No, it was a it was a solo guy from like the seventies, and it was just the goofiest, oh. typ- typical. Wasn't Bob Seger? It was, was it Frampton? Was it? Oh, it was Frampton. Frampton. Yeah. Nice. So it wasn't yep. that. You know, it wasn't just the musician acting all goofy and trying to be sexy on the cover. You know, it was. A, a hall pass to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. Well said. I mean, it's it's complete left field for. I mean, you got to think the music industry that we know, especially in the heyday in like the '90s and early 2000s. But then it was even more. It was like piggybacking off the success of artists like Elvis, where it was like, hey, if if it moves units, let's pump the shit out of it. And Pink Floyd is like not that. You have to, like I said, be into like George Orwell and things that are just like not necessarily like things that are easy to um i don't know market to that extent so it's like hey if you like things that have very very intricate subject matter and you know maybe music that doesn't coincide with like the current scene this is for you but i don't think anyone was really thinking in that context back then now it's obviously timeless and for a record label to take a risk on something like this is pretty profound at the time absolutely and yeah they uh obviously legendary band at this point and with dark side of the moon turning 50 this year that's wow that's pretty fucking mind-boggling if you think about it well we did the what if episode way back and honestly you could peel back like what if this this you know what if pink floyd didn't exist like well Mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't get would you have dream theater years later would between the buried and me exist right you know any of these you know abstract instrumental bands yeah who knows what if Sid Barrett stayed in the band? I mean, shit. 
would we get Wish You Were Here, which is just an amazing record that's kind of an ode to him, or Shine On You Crazy Diamond, which is what parts one through six is like 26 minutes long. <laughs> Shit, yeah. man. Great call. The answer's no. <laughs> the answer. Yep. yep. You're right. That's the what if. And the reason is you. <laughs> okay, Hoopastank. All right, I've got, I've got a good one for you guys that we've joked about not talking enough hip-hop here, but I'm going to go 90s OG hip-hop. Ooh, nice. You know I like the 90s. I think, yeah. I spent a ton of time with his second record, but his first record is probably it's one of the best debut rap records probably ever. It's always on these like 50 greatest albums lists, wherever you look. Tragically died at a young age. And... Big L? Nope. Uh, New York, though. Biggie? I mean... Yeah, Biggie. Biggie. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. You said Big L the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was on the big train. Tom Hanks, big? <laughs> yes, big. Tom Hanks and big and Robert Loggia. No, uh, it was... <laughs> Good. Only you would... I know, I know. Yeah. The... <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> Great movie. The piano scene? Ah, oh, timeless. That's it. Robert Loggia and... and uh, I think it's Robert Loggia and uh, Tom Hanks, but... I digress, as Nate always does. No, it's uh, it's Biggie, and I would tell you that obviously those first two records are the ones that came out while he was still alive, uh, ready to die, and Life After Death, the double album. I spent a ton of time with Life After Death, but Ready to Die is always on the list of fifty best hip hop records, fifty best records of the nineties, all that stuff, and it's probably the best or like the most well received debut rap record ever i would say right it's got to be up there if it's not if it's not the best and i think jay-z copped his style i think eminem copped his lyricism i think he just propelled all these other people to do what they do and without biggie you might you might still get that stuff but you're not going to get it the same way and the fact that we had that whole world was front and center in the mid 90s between the, the east coast west coast stuff and that's been chronicled a million times you can go find that elsewhere but Shit, man, without him, we don't get the bad boy stuff. We don't get Diddy's career, and Diddy's career was pretty long and illustrious, whether it be musically or as a producer or a TV show host or any of that stuff. I mean, w- without Biggie, he was the, you know, the linchpin of all that. Early... Making the band? Yeah. Wasn't he making the yeah. band? Oh, yeah. And yeah. then you get an all-time Chappelle show skit after it, making fun of it with Dylon, 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 and Dylon. I mean, come on. <laughs> you can't beat that shit. We don't get any of that without Biggie, right? We don't get any of it. So I think he is easily one of the ones that changed the game as far as that goes. Well, I think with him, you got, you got a delivery that wasn't overly complex. And I'm trying to like give an example of that, but I think if you've listened to him, you know, it's not overwordy like, like Eminem. You know, it's not doing too much. And his delivery is almost slow. You know what I mean? He proved you can like slow it down and be very impactful and rhyme like no one else. I mean, Tupac, in some ways, you could say that about as well, but we're not talking about Tupac. Well, they're forever, they're forever linked, right? They have to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, for better or for worse. But you're right. It's, it's a slowed down, like, biggie, 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 can't you see? And it's the, that whole the, the hypnotized song is it's all slow. And if so is Big Papa, right? Heavy D up in the limousine. You know, right. it's. Like you could, I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, do we know that Eminem, that he's, I mean, he said Biggie's a big influence and like lines like that, you can clearly tell. Mm-hmm. Well, and he, and he was on what, Dead Wrong, which was off the, yeah, the posthumous right. record that came out when we were in high school, freshman year, maybe. That's a good point. The, the pace or the, 
yeah, like the clip in terms of how fast they're rapping, I think is a good thing to bring up because there was part of the scene. I mean, Nas is pretty slow too, but a lot of rap and hip hop is how fast, like what cadence are you, are you moving at? And Biggie was very much slowed down. And this is completely random, but Twan, you said something in terms of, you know, the simplicity and slow tempo of the music just reminds me, it's like, Biggie is like the Kings of Leon of hip hop. It's like simple, but fucking solid. You know, right? Like it's, it's, this is the cream of the crop, well-marketed, but you know, change the game. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say Kings of Leon changed the game, but very much so very well done and pronounced and yeah, dude, Biggie. The thing is he had his style, but then like take notorious thugs, like he, mm-hmm. he can hang with anyone. Yeah, you're talking about the the set the first track off the second disc of uh, Life After Death with the Bone Thugs, right? Yeah, Great go listen song. to that fucking song. Oh man, what a perfect song! Man, nerd's gonna nerd. So yeah, Biggie. That was great pick. All right, Twan, what do you got? All right, I'm gonna pick an album that we we all know and love. Everyone all knows and loves the album before. So I, I so let me back up. I'm picking an album right now. Um, the album everyone knows, the band everyone knows. Uh, it's uh, Enema of the State. Nice. It, yep. it, it blew up. It was everywhere. TRL award shows. I mean, they broke through with Dude Ranch with Damn It. Like that was on the radio. But M- uh, Eminem Enema is what put them on another scale. You know, poppier songs, better production, new drummer. So why? Why did they, why or how did this album change the game? Well, it proved that a punk rock band in quotes because some people will fight you on that doesn't have to be serious all the time. It proved that punk rock doesn't have to be you know this this fuck you fuck off fuck authority message all the time. It can be goofy and it could it could still have the ethos but have that pop sensibility. Green Day did it. We know that. But not to this degree. Like Green Day and like the Walking Contradiction video, like they're goofy. They're goofy. Like we get it. But Blink leaned into that. And why it changed the game and how it changed the game, labels took notice. Bands took notice. I mean, look at that first Phoenix TX record, the Rooster song. That ain't happening without Blink. Mm-hmm. NFG, the direction they went in for a few years. Bands like Bowling for Soup. Labels were looking for this. You know, they were in every teenage movie going but they changed the game because it didn't have to be the pennywise you know political stuff all that and it could be quote unquote punk and appeal to the masses and be silly and goofy and just i think it changed the game because look look what happened after this mm-hmm. absolutely so many bands followed their lead and went the goofy pop punk route because they it worked. And I mean, there was an appetite for it. It wasn't just, all right, we got a blank record every couple of years, every three or four years. Cool. We'll have another one that sounds kind of like the last one, but there's maybe a little bit more polished. No, more bands just kept doing what they did because it worked. And some of it didn't work. We got some terrible stuff too out of that, but the, right. they changed the game so that all that stuff would happen. Right. That's a good point. A lot of bands are kind of running through my head, like some 41, they rode that train for sure. Especially with the music videos, yep. music videos, in particular, it's like, oh, dude, this is a blink riff times 20, like easily. But beyond that, like Goofy having fun are some really solid songwriting and instrumental song building that like also kind of get to a new level. I think like Blink really 
with this record brought it to a new a new level. I mean, you got to think Mark and Tom, they're writing songs in their own style and they obviously harmonize together as well. And then you got Travis, this just beast, one of the best drummers of all time behind the kit. Yeah, definitely changed the game. And in fact, I did, this one didn't come to mind, but now that I'm thinking of it, it's like quintessential to changing the game for punk rock, but really music collectively because it's it's every element of Blink-182 in this record is like 10 out of 10. Like they were firing on all cylinders. They were yeah. really putting it all out there. And uh, I think it's in a weird way under-recognized if you really deep, you know, dig deep on this record. It was a turning point. And, and the irony is they did it again two albums later. They changed mm-hmm. the game with self-titled. Which, and we're not going to do a deep dive on this because we'll I'll probably do it in the future. But <laughs> save it. the only thing I'll say is they gave a hall pass that it's okay to grow up and mature. You don't have to do the dick jokes until you're 50. And I think they still do that. But right. that was a time where, you know, you could be emotional. You know, it's okay to be emotional. You know, Dashboard did that. Too. Well, but then all those bands that also aged with them or maybe you came up just after them started to do that too. Exactly. Right? I mean, yep. Jesus, listen to the first brand new record. It was emo, more emo, but still similar trajectory. Listen to the Menzingers. They did that, right? They started yep. off a little more in the, not, they weren't in the dick joke realm, but they were in the young, fun, having, having a good time. Okay, now we're aging. Now, what do we do? <laughs> you know, that, that type yeah. of world. A lot of, and I like that music too. I mean, I'm a huge Menzingers fan. After the Party is one of my favorite uh, Menzingers records, and it's about, hey, we're not in our 20s anymore, you know? <laughs> so, makes sense. But yeah, game, game changing, I think in all realms, like, music videos punk goes pop you know like i don't think that those albums would exist with without without blank and good point about green day they did it like in bits and pieces but they never yeah. leaned into it like blink did green yeah. green day had their moments you know you get the the trey cool song at the end of dookie that's a moment but it's not the right. whole record whereas <laughs> right. whereas blink went the other way and they gave you adam's song but then the rest of the record was dick jokes and you know you'd be growing up as a teenager in socal it's Christmas Eve, and my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs. <laughs> shit, Wasn't that shit, album? Shitting his pants. He's always fucking shitting his pants. Wait, is that? What, what album is that? That is, that is uh, Take Off Your Pants, I believe. Yep, yep, yep. So they yep. kind of continue that. Yep. Weaved into some serious songs. Like, yeah. And we, we deep dove that record, jeez, a while back now. It's in there uh, when it turned 20 a couple of years ago. And that we thought obviously was a bridge to what we got with self-titled. And if you want our thoughts on that, that's back there too, man. We've been doing this for so long. We've got fucking thoughts on everything back there. <laughs> By the end of this, we're going to hit every album and every band. So buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, Blink, Enema, Game Changer, whether you like it or not. And some people would say change the game for worse. I think overall change the game for the better. Cause I think you got more, you got newer, newer bands out of them. So who's up? We get Nate? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it was a breath of fresh air in, in the music scene. I mean, you think about like re- listening to Rage Against the Machine and then you listen to Blink and I'm at the States like, ah, oh, nice. Not everything's fucking dark and gloomy. <laughs> but anyways, this next one, I was a late bloomer on this one, but when I got, got into this band, and we've definitely talked about it. In fact, I think I've talked about this record specifically, but I'm going to bring it up because it fits this subject. Uh, very well. It came to mind right away. It's um, Nine Inch Nails, and the album in particular is The Fragile. Me and Tone are obviously huge fans. Like I said earlier, I was a late bloomer, so this 
band was brought to my attention from our good friend Donnie. And uh, I listened to a few records casually, but this one like really stuck out. I don't know if it's because I finally was like, all right, I'm going to give it my full attention and really deep dive. And I think that is maybe a, you know, in part to the fact that it's a double album. It's like a concept album. So like you don't really have much of a choice other than to give it full attention. It's almost like double album means like, hey, dude, like pay attention. So I think this record basically shattered the mold in terms of like the stereotype for industrial music. Because, you know, we all grew up in the same era, like the 90s going into the early 2000s. Industrial was like kind of like, yeah, if you're wearing all black clothes all day, like this is obviously like it's your go-to. But if you're not, if you're listening to Blink-182, Enema <laughs> of the State, you're thinking pop punk, bright colors, having fun. But this record came out at the same time, 2000, right? Deep, dark, crazy textures in terms of uh, instrumentals and then lyrics just out there deep heavy happy sad but ultimately coming out on the other side in a weird like you're gonna get through it elation and i think this changed the game for rock music and then definitely industrial for me personally right this is all subjective but showed that it can be done in a way that's pure poetry yeah nate a great call and it's funny both of yours now are kind of artists that put a genre to the forefront right where pink floyd brought kind of the the prog rocky stuff to mainstream trent brought industrial to mainstream and there's rock tinges to both of those right there's some just straight up classic rock songs on that pink floyd record and then there's with this straight up alternative rock or you know that type of music on this but there's also a ton of industrial especially where it's a double album and it's really front to back which Put a double album out and have it be front to back. That's hard to do, man. And Trent did that, you know, 10 times over with The Fragile. We both absolutely ride for that forever. And you're right. It was Donnie, our buddy Donnie, that got us into it. You know, maybe 2003, 2004 era for me. So four or five years, three, three four years after it came out. And fuck, man, I could I could listen to La Mer on repeat. It's so damn good. I could listen to Wearing This oh, Together man. Now on repeat. It's just such, there's so many good songs on this record. and. It did. It brought it brought this kind of genre to the mainstream. Well, I think it brought the genre to the mainstream, but also I think this, again, we use the term hall pass. It gave a hall pass that you didn't necessarily, again, I don't know what the, what was the single? What were the singles off this? We're in this together now. So by you hesitating proves my point. You didn't have to, because this was on probably what, TBT or Nothing Records, whatever it was. Yeah. You could have just a piece of art on a major label. It didn't have to be the cookie cutter. Here's a single. It's just, here's a a body of work that stands on its own. So I think that changed the game for that. And and labels took notice, right? The other thing is, Nate, you said something about kind of changed industrial music. When I think of industrial music at that time, you know, late 90s, I think about like the movie Hackers and like the rave scene where they're going to these like abandoned warehouse and there's, you know, mesh and fishnets and shit where it doesn't, you know, it just, it brought, it brought it to the mainstream and you didn't necessarily have to play the part. Although if you were a Nine Inch Nails fan and you did all that, you know, no offense, (laughs) don't take any offense. And for a double album too, you know, how common were double albums? I know in hip hop, there were some big ones, but it defied conventional wisdom for the style of music, the rollout for the double album. Yeah. And you brought up a good point on 
pretty much every element of the promotional aspect of this record, which is the artwork alone is very, it's basically spliced images put together with the Nine Inch Nails logo. And that's it. You know, you got to think like record label, like you want something to draw people in. This is overly simplistic, which on an artist standpoint is probably Trent saying, yeah, I want the, I want the music to speak for itself. But talk about striking every box against the heyday of music industry, which is the year 2000, which is like, that's the theme. No, that's the theme with everything we've basically said tonight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do something different. <laughs> Don't do the cookie cutter norm bullshit. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Step away from the norm. Do your own thing to the extent where I think he spent so much money on getting this record out to the market where the promotional tour for this record, which is the fragility tour, which I think we all have show regret. It was nine inch nails supporting this record with a perfect circle opening. Uh, from what I've read, this may not be true until we get Trent on the pod to, to verify that he self-funded this tour because he was so in the hole with the record label that he had to pony up his own money to really bring this album and this record and his story to vision, which, you know, for us, that's, that's geek central. It's like, dude, you wanted to make this happen so bad that you ponied up, you went into the red just to make sure that your vision went to full fruition. That's amazing if that's true. And we will get Trent on someday, right? We'll get him on to tell us if that uh that story holds up. It's funny, I'm looking at the the singles right now because we were we were we were wondering. The day the whole world went away was the first single of July of, of nineteen ninety nine. I think this came out what in September of I think nine nine ninety nine was the big deal. And We're in this together now was the second. And Into the Void was the third and only single. And in the middle of this kind of run, this album was out in ninety nine. With Teeth, the follow-up came out in 05. That's when I got into the band, in between the Fragile and With Teeth. And looking at it on like my phone screen right now, I'm like, should I live that? I didn't, at the time, wasn't a fan when the record dropped, but then became a gigantic fan in the time that the rep, from when the record dropped to when With Teeth came out. And I remember the trailer, this is just a tangent, the trailer for With Teeth coming out and losing my fucking mind because of how much the Fragile had gotten to me at that point. So it's just such a great record. And it's obviously it's not the happiest record ever, but the, it, it defies all. It's a game changer. It, it fits the segment perfectly. The, you said the trailer for Wood Teeth. Didn't that have like a lot of lights? Like the, the video was like, it's hard to describe. I can, I can yes. see it in my head. And the Nine Inch Nails logo coming at you. Yeah, it's uh, the beginning of a song. The, oh, I forget the name of it. It's the one of the instrumental songs on on that record. I'll look it up in a second here. It stumped us. Good picks, Nate. I mean, obvious now that we're talking about it, but I didn't think of them or, you know, this album in particular. It's always like a life-changing moment in terms of like music because it's like this was like not even remotely on my radar and it's very reminiscent of the times. It's like you see a guy at, you know, in high school wearing a black shirt that says NIN and you're like, I don't even know what that is. And then years later, you're like, oh, fuck. I wish I knew about it then, you know? No doubt. Yeah. We would have been friends in high school. It was the quiet into loud on Beside You in Time, which is the second to last track oh. with Teeth, which is a fucking yeah. amazing. That, the, the crescendo of that song is amazing. Go listen to that, too. I'm going to listen to Nails tonight. I guess that's what's going to happen when we're done. I'm just going to uh, listen to Nine Inch Nails for the rest for of the, the evening. Come for the fragile, stay for with teeth. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. I've... A couple questions for you guys. Lay them on us. To just to round us out here, we did industrial, we did prog, 
We did pop punk. We did guar. Yeah, guar is its own its own its own genre. Yeah, we did them. Uh, who would you guys say? Just I want your off the cuff, first hand, like gut reaction, would be grunge's game changer. I think it's got to be smells like Teen Spirit. I mean, that was just because of how big the microphone was. Now, I'd have to think about the sequence of albums. You know what I mean? In that world, you know the we always talk about like the big four of grunge or whatever in the sequence of those albums. But I think that was the one that just had the biggest microphone and (laughs) look at all the bands that basically sound like them now, you know, so it changed the game, not only in the moment, but continues to change the game. And maybe that's the ultimate game changer. I say that's pretty accurate. I mean, they're all in their own right game changers because it's such a huge movement. I mean, you got Cornell reaching notes that, I mean, a handful of people can hit Robert Plant back in the day. And you got Alice in Chains with Lane Staley and the whole, you know, that whole group that is, I mean, the, the Seattle scene is so unique because all four of the big four are game changers in their own right. But I think Nirvana is a pretty accurate assessment. If not, I would say Soundgarden. I agree with both of you. I think it's the tipping point is Smells Like Teen Spirit because of what it did. It was like, we're still listening to some hair metal in spots. You know, you still got like November rain happening. You still got Guns N' Roses, that type of world happening. But then all of a sudden this comes in and the kids are like, this is what we listen to now. We don't listen to any of that shit. We listen to this now. Deal with it. And that's what the way the world was for, you know, four or five years. And it gave a free pass just to be a normal looking guy. Like yeah, you don't yep. have to wear makeup and you don't have to have big hair and wear spandex. It's just like. All right, I just saw this guy down at the gas station, and the guy I'm seeing on TV looks similar. Like, I can relate to that more than Vince Neil parading around. You know what I mean? So it, I think right. it, it just it, it changed the game. It, it normalized, almost normalized music. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, here's a garage band that, you know, is the biggest band on the planet. Right. That's exactly what they ended up being there for that brief period of time. But shit. Uh, it's a good call. And you're right. I think... As far as representative from the grunge scene, it's either Soundgarden or Pearl Jam, but the the movement the the moment that changed the the game was was Smells Like Teen Spirit. Just that those cheerleaders in that dingy high school gym pretending to be into whatever they were doing, and the boys from Nirvana just changing the world. You get another one for us. All right, I've got one more that was courtesy of my wife. She uh, was listening to us talk pre, and it was like, that sounds like something. She texted it to me from the living room. So first, one of the first artists to change the game and ditch the shackles of the label and do their own thing and become their own world. Who changed that game? She stumped me, too. I mean, I know this isn't what she was thinking about, but a day to remember is known for this in, you know, the, the late 2000s or early 2010s. But I'm thinking of maybe a bigger act that ditched the label. Man, you stumped me. She stumped us. I couldn't think of anybody either. I know Kanye was on his way before all the, the crap that he's been in the middle of. But we, I mean, and friend of the pod, Spose, owns everything, but I'm awesome, pretty much. So we, we do have people that do that now, uh, and indie musicians left and right today. But who is like jumped to megastardom doing that? There aren't a lot of. Well, you need the label. Fuck, man, you need the label. What the hell? So did she have one in mind, or she was just curious nah, what we came up with? she was just curious what we come up with. 
Man, that's a good question because I mean, where my head went was like, who changed the game by going solo? You know, because in some cases, the label has them on you know retainer, but others, I'm sure that they've you know they've gotten out of the deal somehow and and shopped themselves elsewhere. Uh, that's a good one. That's one I'll be thinking about after we stop recording. Yeah, and if you are listening to this now and you have one, hit us up. We might have come up with the answer by the time this drops, but hit us up. We want to know what you think. Hey, you know what? Prediction, maybe Slipknot will be, you know, they're supposed to be mm-hmm. leaving Roadrunner, right? They're going to do this, possibly this Radiohead album. They'd be the biggest one, too. But they're already established, but they would be fucking massive and could do their own thing for sure. Man, you see, now they get the gears of... Gears are spinning. I'll I'll park that. We'll we'll maybe in the next episode we'll we'll think about yeah. who we come back with. Absolutely. So yeah, hit us up on the socials. That's all coming here in just a minute. Uh, super stoked to have you back with us this week. We'll have another one for you next week. And yeah, it's been fun, boys. Let's do it again. The train rolls on, baby. We'll see you next week. Nerds use nerd on this one and many more to come. Cheers, nerds. Peace, potheads. See you. Thank you for listening to Patio Slave. We are at Patio Slave on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places that you can find us on social media. Facebook, Patio Slave Podcast. YouTube, Patio Slave Podcast there. Email us at patioslavepodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you want to become a supporter, click on the link at the bottom of the episode and give us a dollar, give us five bucks. It keeps the lights on, keeps us going. We really appreciate that stuff. Thank you.